pretty much every pastor would like to skip over it. Let's put it that way. Uh, this is the last type of passage that, that pastors usually like to preach on. Now, there are some pastors that do like to preach on it and take the opportunity to hammer, the, hammer everyone in the family because it, it's going to, Paul is now going to focus upon family relationships, human family relationships, not so much the church itself, but the nuclear family, husband, wife, and children, okay? So that's what these, these few uh, verses are all about. Family matters, physical family matters. But, but I see in this uh, much that can be applied to church family. We as brothers and sisters in Christ. Because if I go through, and I'm, we're going to go through each verse. But if I go through each verse, and he's going to first talk about the wives, then he's going to talk about the husbands, then he's going to talk about the children. Okay? Pretty much, when, I, when we start talking to the, about the wives, husbands and kids will tune out. Right? It's... it's normal reaction. Then when we come to the husbands, uh, you know, the others continue. Now, what I want to do is I want to bring this home to each and every one of us, because some of us, some here aren't married. And so uh, what then? There's nothing you go, well, there's nothing in this passage for me. I want there to be something in this passage for each one of you, for each one of us. And I want you to understand it as it relates to the body of Christ, okay? Now, of course, it's going to relate to the, uh, the, the family and the home. But uh, let's begin. Verse 18, Paul writes, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. If you have a King James Version, it's translated wives, Submit, use the word submit, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as is fit in the Lord. And this is where it can get complicated. Because we're trying to define this, this word subject or submit. And right away, you know, women will go, oh man, yeah, that means... Yeah, the, my husband's supposed to be the master, and I'm supposed to be the slave. And so, you know, that's basically the way it's going to run, right? And, and, you know, some people just uh, will take this and, and misinterpret it. But I believe the, 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 uh, we need to look at the meaning of that word submit, okay, or subject, be subject to. It is actually a military word in the Greek. It's a military word, and it simply means this. Arrange under rank. Arrange under rank. And so it is used in terms of ranking in the military. How many of you have been in the military? Yeah, many. Some of you have. Raising your hands. Okay. Uh, how many of you were just privates in the military? Anybody stay a private? 
nobody's raising a- anybody become a, a sergeant raise your hand we got some sergeants what's the next rank up captain are there any captains no that's is it captain do we have any captains oh we have a captain i saw a hand yes i see that hand we have a captain okay i wonder if anybody went higher than that did how about lieutenant anybody become a lieutenant uh do i see a hand no now colonel anybody colonel well there's there's someone who is not here this morning who we know is a colonel has reached that rank jim may and uh they couldn't be here today but jim reached the rank in the army of of colonel so i want you to think of this okay in the military so those of you uh who were maybe corporals and sergeants and then on all the way up remember back when you were there okay to some of you it might take a while to think back that far but think back when you were in boot camp and then when you were in training and some of you moved on and moved up as an officer um when you were there the person with a higher rank right you treated with respect you treated with honor because of their rank because they were given a position that was overseeing things above you and then you had your position where you would oversee those maybe under your command and so it was in the military basically paul is saying this god has put order of course we know he's put order in government and corporations but he's put order in the family and he's put order in the family so that the family would run smoothly and it would be a picture of the trinity okay the picture of the trinity now this might be hard to kind of grasp but we'll we'll see this in a moment in other words god has chosen the the man the husband to be in position overseeing the family in other words god is has chosen the husband to be responsible for that family includes the wife and children and they are commanded by God to oversee to take care of to love their wife and their family. And so in this ranking of, that God places according to the scriptures the wife then is to uh reverence and honor her husband as and give him the position and it's volunte- voluntarily a wife should give the husband respect and honor for that position that God has allowed them to be the uh overseer of the family and so when the final final decision makes you work together on decisions husband and wife work together on making decisions and then and then if if we are a smart husband a wise husband will listen to her wife 
and listen to what she has to say. And many times she's right on the many things. And so we go with what she says. I hope you do. Uh, and if you don't, then you find out later, whoops, she was right. You ever get that to that point? Yes, she was right. But it's, it's a beautiful thing when you see, uh, first of all, the wife reverencing her husband and honoring her husband. This is, so I want you to consider this. It's a matter of position and ranking in God's sight. Yet, both husband and wife are equal. So here we have equality. We have the equality between a man and a woman. And this is uh, all before God. Turn to Galatians chapter 3. So let's just go over to Galatians. So we're in Colossians. Galatians is right before Ephesians. So if you go back, you find Ephesians. Galatians is right before that. Galatians 3, verse 28. Look what Paul, look at verse actually 26. It will take us to 28. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, who's he writing to here? Paul's writing to another church, the church in Galatia, right? What's a church made up of? Uh, uh, husbands, wives, male, female, children. And yet he, he uses this term, you are all sons of God. You could put daughters of God in if, if you want to concerning women, but we, we are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you, verse 27 were baptized into Christ, having clothed yourself with Christ. Verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. Neither is there slave nor free man. And here it is. There is neither male nor female, for you all are one in Christ. What does that mean? We are, the ground is all level at the cross. And when we all came to Christ, even though in a family, God may have set uh, positions of husband, wife, and children uh, to, so that the family would, would run in a way that is unified and loving and, and, and functions uh, perfectly, uh, it, it, it comes with understanding, though, that my wife is equal to me in God's eyes. She may be smarter than me. She may have more talents than me. And that is a fact. If you, if you uh, knew me well and Sharon, um, I was blessed with a uh, very... Was, I better stop right here, otherwise I'm going to get in trouble. But she, I am so blessed because... Uh, she, when, when decisions have uh, needed to be made and we talk things over, I don't know how many times she has, has said, I think you should, we should do this. And, and I just felt the Holy Spirit saying, she's right. You, and, you, and so I said, honey, we'll do, we'll do that. 
and, and go along with what she, her idea. And sure enough, I find out that it was the wisest decision. Sometimes we men, what do we think? We think that, that uh, we got it all together. We're the smartest. We're the wisest. I'm the head of the home, you know, use that term. And so therefore, we, we're supposed to call all the shots. Now, in, in the days of, uh, uh, of the first century here, when Paul was writing this, it's interesting that uh, the, uh, the women under Jewish law, they were more considered a possession. You ever feel that way, women? Like you're a possession. Well, under Jewish law, a woman was a thing or a possession of her husband, much like he owns his house or flocks or material goods. And back then, she had no legal rights whatsoever. In the Jewish and Greek culture, the woman basically had no rights. It was all male dominant and, and, and all centered around the male. That's why what Paul is, is going to be saying here in a moment about husbands is, is, uh, is radical because suddenly he's going to tell the husbands to love their wives. But we must understand that we are all equal in God's sight and equal in the sight of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to turn to 1 Samuel with me real quick. If you go to 1 Samuel and we find this wonderful story, 1 Samuel chapter 25, and we find in this chapter... We find a husband and wife, a story of a husband and wife. This is when David, King David, was on the run for his life from King Saul. And uh, <clears throat> so if uh, look at verse 2, 1 Samuel 25, verse 2. Now there was a man in, Mo in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. And he had 3,000 sheep and 3,000 goats. And it came about while he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now look at verse 3. Now the man's name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. And the wife, don't you love this? Look at this. The wife was intelligent and beautiful in appearance. So here is a man blessed with a wonderful wife. But then it says, but the man, Nabal, was harsh and evil in his dealings. And he was a Calebite. That David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent 10 young men and David said to the young men, go to Mount Carmel, visit Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say, have a long life, peace to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. Now, that I, now I have heard that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we have not insulted them. Now remember, David is out with his men in the wilderness, but 
they're, they're among some of Nabal's shepherds that are out there with their sheep. And what David was doing, David and his men were actually protecting the sheep and the shepherds of Nabal from bandits or, or other uh, you know, people that would come and try and steal the sheep or attack, uh, attack the shepherds. David uh, protected them. And look at verse 8. He, uh, uh, the rest of verse 7, actually. And we have not insulted them, nor have, we missed, have they missed anything all the day they were in Carmel. In other words, David's men never took anything from Nabal's shepherd, shepherds. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let your young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a festive day. Please give whatever you find at hand to your servants and to your son, David. So basically, he wanted uh, some, some help for his men, some food maybe. And he was telling how he was protecting Nabal's shepherds. Here's Nabal's response in verse 10. Now Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? Now no doubt he heard about him, and he knew that he was on the run from Saul. But he's basically saying, yeah, I don't care who he is. Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are each breaking away from his master. You see, he knew that David was on the run from his, quote, master, King Saul. And so that's the way he was looking at it. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat and I have slaughtered that I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men whose origin I do not know? So basically, he was slamming the door in David's face, the men that David sent to him, asking for some food and things. So David's young men retraced their way and went back. And they came and they told David, according to all these words. What do you think David's response was? Verse 13. And David said to his men, each of you, gird on your sword, put on your sword. And each man girded on the sword. And David also girded his sword. About 400 men went up behind David, while 200 stayed behind with the baggage. And look at verse 14. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he scorned them. He scorned them. So get the picture, okay? Now David is angry at this, this evil man, Nabal, and he won't give him a thing. And yet he, David protected his, his shepherds and sheeps, sheep. And so now he says, guys, put on your swords. We're going to go take care of Nabal. And so they're marching toward Nabal. Well, one of those young men, uh, Nabal's servants, her, was there when this all happened, went to Abigail, Nabal's wife, and said, you know what your husband did? Man, I think he's in trouble. They're, they're, they've gone and, and David's coming with his men. And he's going to kill your husband. So here is this woman, Abigail, who loves the Lord. And she's married to this ogre. Okay. Have you ever seen marriages like that? Yes. Where the wife is in a relationship where... You know, the, the, the man is, is unsaved. 
uh, and treats her uh, wickedly and others and, and difficult to live with. Well, this is what was going on. So what would you think if you were Abigail, you would think, hmm. So if David's coming with his men, he's going to take care of my abusive husband and take him out. That sounds pretty good to me. She's thinking, she could be thinking, yeah, hey, I get all his stuff. Get the house, I get all the property and everything else, and I get a new husband. No. Here is an amazing thing that shows what kind of wife she was. And so she runs and finds David. So uh, if you go with me, verse 23, drop down to verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and dismounted from her donkey and fell on her face before David and bowed herself to the ground. And she fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the what? The blame. She says, uh, I'll take responsibility for what you're angry at, for the servants of my husband. You can blame me. Please let your maidservant speak to you and listen to the words of your maidservant. Verse 25, please do not let my Lord pay attention. And speaking of Lord, small l, she's talking about David as, as, a, as a Lord, as a master, knowing that, that he should be king. Please do not let my Lord pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal. That's what she says. And basically, that his name means fool. And so she's calling him as, as she sees it and, and call, tells David, I know what my husband's like. He's a fool. He's a, yeah, he, he's basically a worthless guy. You know, for even his name uh, says that. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and your soul lives, since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and from avenging yourself by your own hand now then let your enemies and those who seek evil against my lord be as Nabal. and now let this gift which your maidservant has brought to my lord to be given to the young men who accompany my lord she's giving she brought with her uh food and supplies that david asked for in the first place so she's doing it behind Nabal's back okay but she's but what's she trying to do? She's trying to save her husband's life. Look at verse 28. Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant. For the Lord will certainly make your Lord an enduring house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. She knew that David was God's man. And even an evil shall not be found in you all your days. And you sh should anyone arise up to pursue you and seek your life, then the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies, he will sling out as from the hollow of a sling. What's she doing? She saved Nabal's life. And David was shocked. But then he, after hearing this, he said, okay, 
And David's heart melted. And so he decided, I'm going to turn away and I will not deal with Nabal like I was planning to. All because of a wife that was submissive to her husband, loved her husband, and, and, and respected him enough, even though how bad he was, still respected him in such a way. And this shows me the, the spiritual gift of, uh, the spiritual fruit, I should say, of humility. She humbled herself to go to David and do this for her husband. God, God took care of Nabal later. If you read the rest of the chapter on your own, God took care of him. But, uh, but here is a woman who was, loved the Lord and put, put uh, the, the, the Lord first in her life, but she still respected and honored her husband and did not desire David to take his life. This is a reminder to all of us here to do the same to one another. In Ephesians 5, we don't have time to turn to it, but Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul says to the church, he also talks again in, to the Ephesian church about the husband-wife relationship, but you know what he says there? He says to the entire church, be subject one to another, or be submissive one to another. He's talking to the church. Which means that there should be a, a voluntary submitting of ourselves to each other in the body of Christ. And that would mean that as a husband, there, if, if we are to submit one to another, there is a place where I, as a husband, have to submit in a way as, as a, my, my wife is a fellow heir of Jesus Christ. And there I need to respect her and treat her that way. And so for all of us here, I think this is a great example that we should be like Abigail, each one of us, male or female, that we might have a humble attitude and that we might be willing to, to humble ourselves before the Lord and be submissive to one another and to, to lift one another up. But let's go back quickly to Colossians then. And here, here in chapter 3, he then says, verse 19, Husbands, love your wives, and do not be embittered against them. Here now, Paul speaks of the role of the husbands. Husbands, love your wives, and don't be bitter towards them. Love your wives. Love that word love that he uses there, guess what Greek word that is? Agape. The love that sent Jesus to the cross, that he would die in our place. And so this is the kind of love that I as a husband need to have for my wife. I need to show her this kind of love. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5 with me. Let's go there now. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, he writes this basically the same thing. 
Ephesians 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So, verse 28, so husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of, the, of his body. Paul is saying, husbands... Do you want to know how to love your wife? Look to the cross. Look to the cross and look at the love Jesus showed for us on that cross. And the love that God the Father showed through his son, the Lord Jesus, that's the same kind of love I need to love my wife with. And, not, and, and so, you know, this, it, it causes us all to look inside and, and look at our relationships and say, Am I, am I being uh, humble and submissive to one another? Am I loving the brethren in Christ? Because this goes beyond just husband and wife. Because here it is for all of us. It is, it is the wonderful love of God that we have in us gives us the capability to love one another with the agape love. What is the agape love? It's that unconditional love. I don't expect anything in return, but I'm going to give you my all, even if it means my, my life. In 1 Corinthians, turn to 1 Corinthians quickly with me, chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Of course, this would include husbands, but it includes all of us. The love chapter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth about this agape love. Verse 4, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag, it is not arrogant, it does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Do you see what love is? Love are these things. And this can be in our homes, but this can be in our relationships in the church. As, a, as the body of Christ, Jesus said, you know, this commandment I give you, that you love one another, that agape love, which means I may not uh, appreciate the way you, maybe you as, as a brother or sister in Christ have, have acted towards me or said something towards me. I must still love you. We must still love each other in spite of that and not hold bitterness against one another. Just like husbands should not hold bitterness against their wives in any way. Here we see love. And the, love, the agape love is a demonstrating love. It acts. 
It shows these wonderful fruits of the Spirit. And may this be said of all of us. So turn back with me and let's just wrap up the last few verses in Colossians chapter 4. So husbands, we are to love our wives. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to love one another. Verse 18, again, we are to be subject, submissive to one another in the body of Christ. And then verses 20 and 21. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart, that they may not lose heart heart basically he's he, he goes back to the fathers here he goes to fathers here and but first he he says children be obedient to your parents you know what that why, what that does it means that you are pleasing god as a child if you're pleasing mom and dad and you're seeking to to obey them then god will bless you and bless your life he will honor you. But of course, this is, we have the, one of the commandments, honor your father, father and mother, that you may live long in the land and the Lord, your God, will give it to you. Children, obey your parents. Oh man, that's, that's a tough one, isn't it, kids? Do you ever remember the times when mom and dad told you to do something and you said, mm-mm. Nah, I think I'll do, do my own thing. No, or they tell you, get, please get this done, get this done. You don't do it. I don't. I remember growing up, the same kind of thing. You get to the place where you grow up and you're growing up and you remember those times when mom and dad had to discipline you. How many remember those days? Yes. How many remember specific occasions when... You really got you got it because you deserved it. And of course, what is what is he talking about here in verse 21? He's talking to fathers who would carry out the discipline in those days. The father is the one that carried out discipline. And so it says, fathers, do not exasperate your children or uh, antagonize them, that they may not, what, lose heart. And this is speaking of a father that would be abusive, a father that would, would discipline in anger. And some of you have grown up with a dad that, was, that disciplined you in anger. And that has left scars, and it will leave scars if we as fathers have disciplined our children in anger, and we haven't been under the control of the Holy Spirit. And God's trying to tell us, he's trying to tell us, when you, it's time to discipline, you di we discipline in love. We discipline in love. And what's the picture we get of this? First of all, children, obey your parents. How does this relate to all of us today? We are all children of God. And we are all called to obey our Heavenly Father. I am called to obey my Father and to walk in obedience to His Word. 
This is it. If I want to obey my heavenly father, I obey according to this. I obey his word. And then I know that if there are times where I choose to be disobedient and I remain disobedient and I don't confess my sin. Hebrews 12, you can look it up on your own. God will choose sometimes he has in love because he loves us. What does he have to do? He disciplines us. Oh, he disciplines each one of us in different ways because he knows how best to do that in love so that he might correct us to the point where in Hebrews it says to lead us to the point where we will produce the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And so I, as a child of God, I need to make sure that one, every day I seek to obey my father, which is in heaven. And that, uh, and that the second thing is, I know that my God, my father, like we humans father, will provoke our children to a point where they'll lose heart because we may carry out discipline the wrong way or we don't show love to our children. But our father will never provoke us to anger. He will never get us to that place. But he does in loving discipline, but he loves us. And as we conclude here this morning, these are the things I pray that you would remember as a child of God, as part of the family of God here today. One, humility. And that, that we saw that in wives' relationship to husbands. Two, love. Husbands, love your wives. And I need to love you. And I love you with the love of Christ as my brother or sister in the Lord. Three, obedience. Children, obey your parents. And I need to live in obedience to God's word that I might receive his blessing. That, I might, that he might be pleased with me. And number four, encouragement. That we might encourage one another in the body of Christ. But not be like a father that will provoke a child to anger because we don't encourage or we don't. Uh, the father doesn't discipline in love. But there is that, that word of encouragement. And sometimes that's missing in our homes, encouraging one another. And a father encouraging the kids and, and encouraging them and praising them when they do well. So that we might encourage one another. Here is something for all of us to take home with. And these things, that the Lord might work in my heart in these areas, that I might be pleasing to him. Let's pray together. As we bow in closing here this morning, dear Christian, perhaps there's an area of your life that's lacking. And you see that perhaps there is a a bitterness in your heart towards another brother or sister in Christ. And you need to deal with that. The Lord can help you to deal with that. And give you strength to release it and to forgive. Much like Abigail forgave her husband. That we might walk in humility. That we might love with the love of Christ that we might encourage one another in the Lord.
And that as we do these things, we will build one another up in our homes, in our families, and in the church so that God will be glorified. Would you make that decision right now, Christian, concerning that area of your life that God may be speaking to you about? And say, Lord, I know I need to to change something here with your help. Would you make that commitment right now before the Lord? If you're here without Christ, you've never accepted him by faith as Savior. I invite you to receive the Son of God into your life. He died on that cross, took your sin on himself, and he took your punishment so that you wouldn't have to go to hell, but you could have everlasting life and forgiveness of sin. Do you want that? Do you want to be certain of heaven? Come to the Savior, come to the cross, and receive him. Pray a simple prayer like this if you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead, then would you make this confession of faith through this prayer? Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me and took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart right now and wash my sins away. I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead, Lord Jesus. And with head still bowed, if you gave your heart to Christ, my dear friend, you have become a child of God. You have been born again spiritually. Your sins have been forgiven. Welcome to the family. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for what you've taught us this day. And Father, may we walk in righteousness, Lord, through the strength of your Holy Spirit that would empower us to do so. And may we, Father, please you in all aspects of life so that one day when we enter the kingdom, we will hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thank you, Father for loving us so much. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we conclude our service here now this morning, as we sing, stand to sing, if you made a decision, any kind of decision, Christian, if you need to make it public, I invite you to step out of your seat and make a public declaration of your commitment to the Lord today near this cross. Invite you to step out and come and lay it at the cross. And if you accepted Christ as your Savior, would you come that I might welcome you to the family of God? I'd just like to pray with you and encourage you in your newfound faith in the Lord. Would you come as we sing?